Good to see you guys. Um, if this is your first time here, I want to personally welcome you. I'm glad you could be here with us this morning. My name is Ricardo Stewart, and I'm one of the pastors and get the opportunity to do a bulk of the preaching, and we got opportunity to preach today. So we are not in a series. Normally, we teach through books of the Bible, or we're in a particular series. We are not in a series today. We are doing what we call the standalone. That is one message in which we get to teach um, whatever you feel like needs to be taught that particular Sunday. Next week, we will start a series that will be a longer series that will take us all the way to Advent, which is the end of December, or excuse me, end of November, beginning of December. And we'll be looking at the book of Exodus, which we're looking forward to. Um, the Exodus, if there's one book that you can pick in the Old Testament that gives language and understanding of what makes sense of why we needed Jesus, it would be the book of Exodus. And so we're looking forward to spending some time um, in that book. But today we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4, looking at verses 7 and 8. And so if you have a Bible, go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verses 7 and 8. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep it raised really high. One of the ushers will walk down the aisle or go in the overflow and get you a copy of God's word. We'd love for you to have a Bible um, in your hands this morning to follow along with us. And we say this every week because we mean it. If you don't own a Bible, go ahead and keep the one that we are handing out. It is our gift to you so that you can grow in an understanding and a knowledge of Jesus. Now, if you're like, listen, I've been taking these Bibles a lot. There's like four or five of them at my house. <laughs> Do whatever what you want with them. Just, uh, just, uh, just realize God's watching. And so... <laughs> So anyways, um, so, um, so here's what we're doing. We, we, we do something here every year. We've done it for the past four or five years. Greg Lindsay, one of our pastors here, leads us in a survey. Um, and you guys have been gracious enough to be able to take those usually five to 10 minutes out on those, on those Sundays and, and fill out some questions. And what it helps us do is understand who we are as a church and what's our demographic and things like that. But it also helps us understand like what sort of things ought we to be doing that is consistent for the whole body of believers. And so three years ago, we did something called the True Story Project. And the True Story Project was a direct result um, from the survey of which we realized that most people don't read their Bibles. Um, and so we, the True Story Project was an effort of ours as a whole church to read the whole Bible in one whole year. And it was great. Um, we gave a lot of resources for it. It was really good. Well, now what we're realizing is, um, not just in our church, but in a lot of churches um, throughout um, our country, is we are people that don't really know what it's like to be spiritually formed in Jesus. What I mean by that is we don't have this desire and this affection for Christ that we're beginning to look more and more and more like Jesus. Um, and so we're going to be doing something that will launch September 8th in which we're called Formed, and it's called the Form Project. This is not a series that we'll go through. This is just practices that we will become more like Jesus. These practices will be introduced to you. There'll be resources. You'll hear about it from the stage and ways in which you and your redemption community, your family, your friends, you as an individual can practice practice many of the practices that the church, that means the people of God for, um, in history have been practicing that we become more and more like Jesus. You heard me say this today, it is not the practices that make us more like Jesus, it is the spirit of God that uses these practices that grow our affections and our desire to look more and more like Jesus. And so what I want to be able to do for today, um, it's a different type of sermon is, I want to get you to how we got here. Um, in terms of like just as a culture and as a people, particularly as Christians, and then also going, what does it look like for us as a church and as a people to be formed into the image of Christ? And so um, I have three points, um, which I don't normally have, and they all start with P, so there's a alliteration there. And so it's passive, it's participatory, and then practice, and then we'll be able to, to walk through uh, these things uh, together. But before we do, let's pray and ask God to bless our time.
God in heaven, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the Messiah, that you have raised him from the dead, and that there's good news. Lord, we thank you for Bree's story um, and just what it does in our lives and what you're doing in her life and then what you'll continue to do in the, in the lives of others and many. God, I pray that we would be able to just to care about the little and the mundane and to see you in both. Um, God, I pray that you would, you would convict us, um, that you would humble us, and that you would slow us down, that we would have a desire to be formed um, and look like the one who at infinite cost to himself gave himself for us. We thank you for your grace in which you extend to us. Uh, we praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So there is this writer who's not a believer, um, but he's got this quote, and I love, and he says, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. And it has his religious overtones that he has in it, but um, I, I, I use that quote, one, because I feel like within the church or within the body of believers, those who believe in Jesus Christ, that, that if we were to take that same quote, what we would say is, at least what we hear is, I do believe in God, but yet I miss him. And here's what I mean, particularly talking about our congregation, is, is if, we, if we listen to our stories and we listen to people, what we have is like this experience of God that was better for us at some period or some stage in our life if we went back, all right? So if you look at the demographic of our church, usually what happens, it's many of us who were involved in some form of Christian ministry while we were in college. And we were seeing God move in ways, um, we, we felt like the spirit was upon us, and we were a part of some you know, Christian club on campus, whether it be FC whether it be Young Life, whether it be Crew, whether it be all sorts of other things that are there on campus. And, and we were going on mission trips to Southeast Asia, and we were like just doing all sorts of ministries with a community of people who, by the way, were all the same age as us and in college, and it was amazing. And then we get out of college, and we start doing um, a different phase or a different season and stage of life, and many of us go, man, I wish we can go back to there, Right? Or some of us, we go back to maybe the high school experience where we had a great high school ministry and, and we were sold out and on fire and radical and passionate and blast extreme enormous and all the youth group words that, that you had. Um, and and, and you, you were radically passionate all at the same time. And you had these like camp experiences where you would go, you nailed your sin to the cross or the wall or whatever it was, you went back home, you were gonna do the thing that you weren't gonna do anymore, a couple weeks later you were still doing it, but you're like, I'm so glad that God is gracious and he forgives me, like, like whatever. And it was, I was a youth pastor for a, for a while, so I contributed to some of that nonsense. So there was, there was, there was, there's just like this season, and some of you who maybe are older and from a different generation, like for you, it was the church that you grew up in, that small Presbyterian church, and it was an organ, and you know what? You sing hymns, and you didn't sing hymns in the way that we sing, and we mess them up, right? Because we changed them musically, and if there was a way that we held that key like one step longer, the spirit would show up, right? And there's just like, there's, there's some sense like we, we wanna go back to this moment where we begin to experience God. In all honesty, um, I feel like there's a lot of us who are in Christ, like we love God, we believe that we're Christians, we follow Jesus, and yet there seems to, there seems to be this distance as opposed to nearness. Like that, like that, that somehow um, this, this affection for Christ, we don't, we, don't, we don't get anymore. And I wonder, I wonder um, if it isn't because we have been so shaped and formed by our culture in such a way, and particularly in a culture that is, that is shaped by not just technology but Hollywood, that we're looking for the big and the next and the best 
as opposed to the simple, the daily, and the mundane. And it may be that the way God finds us and the way that we find God afresh is actually right before us, not in the next camp, not in the next deal, not in the next, and that's nothing against any of those things. It's just going, maybe God's present every day. Um, and maybe God is exactly what he says he is. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and we're looking for him to be something different than what he already is. So, so, so how do we get here? How do we get here as a church? Okay, so I've shared this with you before, but what you have is, this is not unique to our church. This is, this is something that a lot of people throughout our faith, around the country and the world, are resonating with. There's been these shifts. And, and let me just explain this to you for a little bit, and if you guys let me just kind of explain this. I mean, you have to, because what are you gonna... You could leave, but. <laughs> um, so one is, we talk about this. There's like three different cultures, and Mark Sayers, who's a writer and a thinker and a pastor guy out in uh, Australia, talks about this. Three different cultures. The first culture would be the pre-Christian culture, and then like Christian culture, and then post-Christian culture, just for the sake of titles. So the, the pre-Christian culture will be a culture that the gospel has not been to, right? And so if you think about it, you think about the Roman Greco world that when, when, when the Messiah, Jesus is born into that world, he lives, he dies, he's resurrected, and people receive the spirit, and the church is started, and they go to the different cities in Europe, in the Roman Greco world, and they share the gospel. That was a pre-Christian area. It wasn't that it, they didn't believe in gods, they believed in gods, they just didn't believe in the one true God, Yahweh, who put on flesh in the advent of Christ. And so now you had this culture where people begin to believe in Jesus, which leads to the second culture, which becomes the Christian culture. Now, when I say Christian culture, not that everybody in the culture, every single man, woman, and child were Christian. It just had Christian overtones. That to talk about Jesus wasn't something that was foreign or new. Um, and so you had in the Christian culture people who began to do things like send people out and they become missionaries, and they would go from one country to the next, and they would share the gospel. So we think about in North America particularly, we would send people to different countries in hopes that they would become Christian. But what we saw in that, as you continue to read Christian history, it had a ton of pros, and it had some things that were not as good, okay? And one of those things was the colonization of people. And that is, we, um, as Christians, would take a very uh, European-centric um, lifestyle and so forth and go to other places and go, yes, you need Jesus, but you also need to become, you know, whatever the culture was. And so as people, be missionaries, begin to look at that, go, no, that's not good. We need to not do that. Um, we need to do it in a different way. And so they went to the third culture. And the way that happened is you fast forward here in our particular country is you start saying, wait a minute, we need to, we need to go to people. We can't expect for people just to come to church. We can't expect people to just show up and like walk up into a church building. We have to do things within the church that make sense to their everyday life. And then what you had then is the advent of all sorts of things, but one of them is the mega church. And I say that not in a pro or con way. I mean, technically redemption is a mega church. If you take all of our congregations and you add all the people together, then we'd be that. But what you had is you had people going, you don't need to dress up to go to church. You could wear uh, like Tommy Bahama shirts and flip-flops. You know, you, you know what? And what we'll do, we'll take, for sermon illustrations, we'll take movie clips from movies that we all watch and then we'll use them and we'll connect them to your life. We'll give you a sheet, you can fill in the blank and you can have these five principles and make your life better. This is amazing. And what you had in that is going, how do we be begin to grow? Because what also was adapted from the culture was very, very um, like business principles. And you took all of those principles and you said, we'll do church like that. And then what was happening in our culture was bigger, faster, stronger, and just, just like grow things, grow things, grow things. And then the church began to grow. And I said, okay, well, how do we grow the church? And the way that you grew the church is, you have a bomb children's ministry, and then you have a bomb fifth, all the way to 12th grade ministry. And you hire like very energetic people that would be fun with kids. Hence how I got my job. So you have, 
you have, you have, these are going on and so forth. And it's like, yes, that's what you do to grow a church. And I'm, again, I'm not saying any of these things are bad. That was just our experience. Well, many of us, and especially many of you guys, I didn't grow up in youth ministries like this, but when you sit down and go like, yeah, I felt like when I was in high school ministry, it was like this trajectory. And we did use words like, it was gonna be radical, it was gonna be passionate, you need to be sold out, you need to be on fire, like, like, like extreme language. And the problem is, we set everybody out to run a sprint when really it was a marathon. And people burnt the heck out. Right? And many of us in this room can experience it. And it jades everybody to going, wait a minute, I don't know if I could trust you, and so forth. Well, then there was another movement, which I'd put myself a part of, and that was the missional movement. And the missional movement said, no, 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 no. We, we can't just do things inside of the church building to make people come. We have to go and be Jesus to the worlds and to the neighborhoods around us. We need to go to the pubs, and we need to go engage in art and politics. We need to go into the recreation. We need to go into the schools, but not just prayer in schools, but like have our kids there and so forth. We'll be friends, and, and, like, and then we're going to reach the city for Christ, and we're going to be a city on the hill, because that's what Jesus said. We'll be light in a dark place. We'll be salt. We'll, we'll preserve things. Like We'll be all of these things. And what we won't do, we won't colonize anybody. We'll let people be the way that they are and let the gospel hit their hearts. And what you begin to see in churches during that era, I would say like 98 to 2000s and where we're at now, is people start showing up to church with gauges and, and tattoos and, and certain urban churches. It was, we, could, we could now do hip hop, we could do rap, we could do whatever as long as it brought glory to God. And everybody was like, yo, this is dope. Not everybody said that, but some people said that. <laughs> and, and what happened is, and Mark Sayers says this, and it hit me, he goes, what happened is, while we were out there trying not to colonize the culture, we ourselves were being colonized. And it hit, because it's like, you're right. There's no particular type of method that necessarily just reaches people, and the re- what you come back to is, you can't send people out to be on mission if they themselves are not formed. You can't sit, we cannot be sent if we ourselves are not robustly rooted in the life and the ways of Jesus Christ. And that's far more than just intellect. That's an identity that is constantly looking to, mimicking, practicing the ways of Jesus. And I would say that's not just the congregation, that's the pastor, that's all of us are going, like how do we become rooted in Jesus Christ? I'm not talking more classes. I'm not talking any, I'm saying worship. And worship, not just what happens on a Sunday, but what happens in your life as you have an encounter with God and God encounters you. Jamie Jamie Smith, or or J.A. Smith, he says this, particularly talking about the same thing in in his book, he says this, worship works from the top down. You might say, in worship, we don't just come to show God our devotion and give him our praise. We are called to worship because in this encounter, God remakes and molds us top down. Worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires, and rehabituates our loves. Worship isn't just something we do. It is where God does something to us. Worship is the heart of, the, of discipleship because it is the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. So when we decided, uh, particularly led by John Crawford, one of our pastors here, that we're gonna go through this project called Form, it is not something that is cool. It's not something that brings the people in. 
It is something in which is so desperately needed for our thirsty souls to remind ourselves and whom we are, whose image we are made in and whose image we're being redeemed and restored to look like. This is far less about intellect and far more about our affections. It's far less about duty and far more about our desires being centered around the white one. The right, the white, the right one. <laughs> Remember I told you how you get formed? You know, more things are caught than taught. Those pictures of Jesus. <laughs> I just wanted to see if you guys were listening. So, so what we have here is, uh, so what we have here is the three, three, three ways, right, on which we, which we are formed that we're gonna talk through. The first way is passive. Uh, no, there we go. The first way is passive, the second is participatory, and the third way is practice. The first way is passive, participatory, and then also practice. And so if you take your, your Bible and you're in, in 1 Timothy chapter four, we just have a verse here that is the theme of this particular project in which we'll be going through for months and months and months for a year. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter four, um, verse seven, it says, I have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Now here's where it gets good here. He says, but rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. What Paul is saying, he goes, listen, body, like, like bodily training, working out, getting in the gym, doing what you do, putting in work, all whatever you say, it's of some value. He goes, but godliness and training for godliness is worth greater value. So first, when we think about passive, what I mean by passive is there are certain things that we do that we have no idea, or whether we admit or not, that we are being shaped by, that we are being formed by, right? You can, you, first, think about the way you were raised. Just think about the household in which you grew up in. I, if I say it once, I say it a million times. More things are caught than taught. There are certain things that you know that you learn by just being in the family that you grew up in that you can go back and you can go, oh yeah, like in my family, I learned the loudest person wins, right? <laughs> like facts, right? When Holly and I got married, she, I remember the first time she said, like, why are you yelling at me? I'm like, I'm not yelling at you, are you serious? You wanna know what yelling is, right? But to her, her family, her family wasn't like that. Her family was very quiet, the quietest person went to sleep, I don't know. So you had whatever, whatever, whatever your family, whatever your family has, you, you learn certain things in your family, certain things you do, certain things you don't do. Um, you learn those things and they shape you. You're never explicitly taught, but you caught those things and you're being shaped by it. Or if you think it on a, on a macro level, you think about the design of like the urban, urban planning or urban design of a city. It forms you and shapes you to certain things that you make particular uh, choices off what's formed you, okay? So probably three or four months ago, ASU had they're, they do like these TEDx, like not big time TED, but small time TED talks at ASU. And you can go listen to different speakers, and I was there. And this guy was particularly speaking about the necessity of like the bird scooters and the limes and so forth, and he was saying how they're gonna change the world and eliminate traffic. I'm like, those things are really just for fun, buddy. But you had, what he was doing was interesting. He talked about how certain theme parts and even certain cities used to be developed. What they would do is they would let people just walk first, and then they would look at what natural patterns were people walking in, because you could see the trails. And then they would create sidewalks and roads around where people naturally walked, meaning like the normal like way of which they commuted. Um, and he said even early Disney theme parts were thinking like, how do people naturally walk? And that's how we'll create it. Um, and then he showed a city, or um, a corner of a street in Manhattan, in New York City, um, about 100 years ago. 
And what it showed was, it was like this huge walkway um, and a very, very small street and where most people were walking or riding a bike and so forth in this area. Where then he showed a picture of that same street today, all of a sudden, that sidewalk is very, very small and the street's huge. And the way that things are designed, it is designed in such a way for you and I to think, to know, and make decisions to get a car and to be in a car. And so to think about the thought of going, right now, when people turn 16, they can't wait to turn 16 so they can get their license so that they can drive. Or maybe 100 years ago, it, that wasn't even a thought, and yet those things, as simple as that, are the things that shape us. Like, we don't have to do anything for that. We passively are shaped in that way. Or it's even something silly. Like, why do we think the best time to eat eggs is in the morning, right? Like, who made that rule, right? And to the point where we try to eat it at, at dinner, we have to say, okay, kids, we're having breakfast for dinner, right? And like, yay, right? And it's like, wow, this is, wow, this is amazing, right? And it's like, why? Like something somewhere somehow has shaped us to think, no, you're supposed to eat this in the morning. Well, you and I both know that it is good and delicious and great to eat cereal at any time of the day. It's always good. There's never a moment where you're like, damn, that's a bad idea. It's never been, right? Or, or equally as silly is why, do we, are, why are we somewhat okay with eating a donut for breakfast, but if somebody brought in birthday cake, well, whoa, now, you can have that. What's the difference? Like really, what is that? Especially the way they're making donuts now, it's a birthday cake, but it's a breakfast thing. All right, so I say that just to go, those are silly things that shape us, but they shape us passively. We don't have to work at those things. Here's the thing that's not shaped passively. That is becoming more like Jesus. Like you don't, you, you just don't wake up and go, oh yeah, I just kind of like woke up and became a Christian, right? Even when we hear people's stories and they say things like I was raised in a Christian home, um, what they really mean is their parents believed in Jesus and so forth. I mean, the home in itself is not Christian. Now you have people who set the context and the environment, uh, maybe taught you about Jesus and so forth and so you, you came to saving faith in Christ, but at some point you had to enter in. Like we can give our kids, we can give our friends, we can give our people a lot of things. We cannot give them our faith. Like we can't say, here it is, borrow it for a little bit, and when you're done with it, give it back to me, some other people might want to use it, right? No, we can create the context and the environment, but God has to do something, which he's already done in Christ and has given his spirit, but then men, women, and children have to be able to receive that faith and step into that faith um, in much way that you just saw with, with, with Bree. Like, you're not just, you don't just like, like come out of your mother's womb like, oh, John 316, right? <laughs> like, that's, that's, that, that's not how it happens. And so something in terms of the way in which we're formed as we're talking spiritually has to go, um, has to go from passive to something that we participate in. And Paul here uses the illustration of training, which I think is interesting because in our culture today, it should hit because like, we're like in a training culture. Everybody wants to work out. Um, everyone wants to want to work out. Um, and many of us, we've had gym memberships. We've had multiple gym memberships. Some of you have a couple of memberships going on at the same time because this, this, this is the year. This is the year. And like... You know, and there's this sense where he's like, yeah, it's of some value, it's important, right? And so we say, well, that's universal. Um, I don't think training and working out is universal. Like some people um, in different parts of the world, their workout is getting to work at home because they, they walk and they, they walk and they walk and they walk. They're not like, oh, child, I gotta get to the gym. They're like, the gym? I'm trying to go to sleep because I gotta do this again tomorrow, right? And so Paul here says there's training. And the thing about training is, you know, about working out is, 
Again, it's the same way you don't wake up a Christian. You don't have a thought or an idea about being in shape and then all of a sudden you get in shape. Right? You don't have a dialogue about it with some friends and go, hey, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking I'm gonna get a six pack. Okay, that's good. I think I'm gonna, all right, cool. And all of a sudden it's there, right? Like it's something that you have to do over and over again. Even if you have the money and you spend the money to get a gym pass, a membership, and you pay for a trainer. If you just show up and say, I'm in the membership, I got a trainer, and then you start flexing, and you ain't done nothing, it's gonna look the same way it did the day before, right? Like you have to be able to do something. You have to be able to participate. Paul says here that when it comes to this, training for godliness, and so here's what we're trying to communicate here. When it comes to our spiritual development, yes, God does the work and provides the grace, we do not grow in becoming like Jesus unless we participate in it, right? Now, because we're good Protestant church and we believe in grace, um, I'm not saying that we have to do something in order for God to bring salvation to us. That's not true. We are saved by grace, his unmerited favor through the life of Jesus. It's what makes us right before God. However, that same grace that makes us right before God is the same grace in which we need that trains us to grow in godliness, Paul says says it this way. He says, it is the grace of God that trains us to renounce ungodliness, meaning there is a participation in God's grace by the Holy Spirit that trains us as we put in and work out what God has worked in in our life and which our affections begin to grow more and more like Jesus. Like, I can't grow more in love with my wife if I, just, if I just never talk to her, if we never hung out, I never continue to ask her questions. My desire and my affections don't grow for her. They grow as we engage and as we talk and as we begin to communicate and do things together. There's an affection and there's desires that grows in that. Um, here's our problem, though. Um, we treat our faith like many of us treat the gym, right? I'm guilty. I have not worked out for a full year consistently since college. In college, I was playing football, it was mandatory, and it was great. And I figure, I'm never gonna look like that again, so why, you know? Uh, and, and I keep saying, I'm gonna get into it, it's good for your health, and I've tried everything. I tried to run um, a half marathon, almost killed myself. Um, <laughs> never doing that again. Um, I, I've tried yoga, hot yoga, by the way, okay? Just never doing that again. Um, <laughs> I, I have tried, believe it or not, I even, I tried to hike, there's nothing more boring than hiking. I know it's great, be in nature, it's just so boring. Um, and I mean, there's a lot of different things that I've tried, I played basketball, whatever. So this particular time we had this, and throughout insurance, it was like if you had certain gyms that if you had a membership there and you went like 12 to 15 times a month, like you could like get it for free, but you had to like show that you were there and so forth. So we had Planet Fitness right down the street, right? And Planet Fitness, by the way, no judgment zone, and I was, I, was, uh, I was there, and I started off the year like, I'm ready. This was three years ago. I started, I'm ready. I'm like on the treadmill. I'm working out. I even had, because they have like, a, um, like this thing that goes off if you do certain things. Like you're not allowed to drop the weight. You're not allowed to overflex or anything like that. And I accidentally dropped the weight, and then like the thing went off on me and everything. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to abide by the rules and so forth. Well, that kind of like lasted for like a week or two, right? It was a good week. It was really good. <laughs> But then I still had to keep going in order for free. And so like you have to actually swipe your card and you have to show proof to your insurance that you were there. Okay, confession. Um, so I, I started, I would still go, but I would go, they had a massage chair. <laughs> and I would swipe the card, sit in the massage chair, whoa, right? 
And then, and then I come back to work, right? So I was there, but I wasn't doing anything, right? Now, it would be like me to go, why am I not in shape? Why is my heart rate not where it needs to be? Why is my blood sugar level where it's at? Why am I not? It's because you're not doing anything. Like, yes, you have the membership. Yes, God has saved you. Yes, he's your Lord. Yes, he's present. But if you're not engaging it, then you, you're just swiping the card trying to get a massage. <laughs> Some of you are like, dang, did the pastor read my journal, man? He knows everything about me. <laughs> so you, you, you have to be able to participate, and the way the participation works is actually not in the macro, uh, but actually in the micro. I mean, it's not like the big thing. It's not just, I'm gonna read the whole Bible this week. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. Um, I'm gonna fast for a week. No, you're not. No, you're not. You've never fasted before. You gotta, no, you're not, okay? <laughs> And that's not even to go like, because you're not good enough. You're not, it's just like, that's just not how change works, right? My mentor told me this. He said, there's two, two things you need to know, Ricardo. God can change anyone. And he said, the second thing is this, people don't change. <laughs> and keep those intention. Um, Paul here, when he says, in the context of this, he's talking about doctrine and knowing the gospel and putting those things into practice. Let me tell you how this works for us and what form we'll do. We will have ways of prayer, ways of God's word, to read God's word, different ways of prayer, ways to eat meals with one another, ways to do things that form us before and as we are sent out into the culture around us. Um, however, we don't just do all of those things at once. It's starting somewhere and growing. Uh, I was listening to a podcast that a friend of mine had, had listened to, and it was a podcast talk about the Kaizen method. And in particular, in short, it was talking about how Toyota had done things differently to be one of, the, one of the best cars. And mainly what they were doing on their conveyor belts and so forth is instead of just like letting people see that there were like one small thing wrong, but continual like on the belt, they would stop it, fix that little small thing, and everybody had the, 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 the ability to do it. And that one small thing would actually help them become a better company. And they take that method when it comes to habit forming and change. change. And so this particular guy was talking about a professor, how he said in another pr professor's talk at UCLA about meditation. And he goes, all right, so here's what I want you to do. This was like his so what at the end of it. He goes, I want you guys all to go home and meditate for one minute a day and then come back next week, we'll talk about it. Everybody leaves. So he comes to the professor, he goes, hey, that great talk, but you know that meditating for one minute does nothing for you. He goes, oh yeah, I know. He goes, but here's what I also know is that those who already are meditating for five to 10 to 15 minutes and longer a day, they're gonna do it already. But those who have never done it, if I told them to meditate for five minutes a day, they would do it for one day and they'd probably never do it again. But if I told them to do it for a minute, they might do another minute. And then they might do another minute and they might do three minutes and so forth. And then it becomes a habit because that's what we're trying to do, something that lasts. The same podcast talked about what they did with people and how they would test certain people. They would give one group of people a free membership and all the equipment that they needed. Right? We know people like that. They got the membership to the gym, they got all the equipment, they got the right shoes, they got a yoga mat, they got a, a gym in their house, they got everything, right? It's like a play it again sports in their garage. But you would have actually had to play it for it to actually be again, so it's just play. And it's at their house, right? And, and then they said what they did with the other group is they just told them, here's what we wanna do. If you have stairs in your house or outside of your house, we want you to walk up and down the stairs uh, three times a day. At some point in the day, just walk up, walk down, that's it. What they found over a period of time is the people who were just given the small task of walking up and walking down the stairs, they developed far more healthy working out habits than those who were actually given everything. That those who were given everything, they showed up, they got into it, and then at the end, it kind of faded to black. 
There's a sense of going, if we're gonna grow in this, you have to start somewhere and begin to grow. So when Paul says here, train, don't, don't think radical. Don't think passionate. Think mundane and monotony. Don't think big, think small. Think consistent. Think doing what's right because it's right until it feels right. Like that, that, that sense that when you see that just this, like I'm gonna read God's word and, and I'm gonna try to obey it today and I'm gonna go to work and I'm gonna, I'm gonna drive to work, I'm gonna get in the freeway, I'm in the carpool lane, but I don't got nobody else with me, so I'm gonna obey, I'm gonna get out of it, unless I'm late. And then, and then I'm gonna work, I'm gonna come home, I'm gonna be with my roommates, my friends, my family, whatever, I'm gonna go to bed, I'm gonna wake up, and I'm gonna do the same thing. Like, there is nothing spectacular about following Jesus. There's just something good, right, and true, and beautiful. And I think we've got it twisted. Like, we gotta have the best, the best, the best. We don't need to have the best if we already have God. Like, he just might be enough. <laughs> so, so there's a passive way of which we're being shaped, and there's definitely a way in which we participate, and those are the practices in which we'll talk more about um, when we get into this season and, and we get into the form project and ways in which we can do it collectively as a people and so forth. And there's also uh, particularly practices when it comes to training. So when Paul says, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is a value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. What he's talking about there is there's something that we're doing now that is actually shaping us for what we'll experience in eternity. And if you think of any sport, if anything, there's a certain time in which you practice that prepares you for the game. And every time I say practice, I know some of you guys are like, we talking about practice? Not a game. No, not a game. Practice, right? And these particular practices in themselves are not the goal. You hear me on this? Like, the goal is not to just, like, have certain practices. And nor do the practices make us more like Jesus. It's the Spirit of God that makes us more like Jesus. The practices are there because the Spirit uses these practices to make us more like Christ. Here's what I mean. When you go to get a cup of coffee, if you went somewhere to get a cup of coffee this morning, or if you went outside and you got a cup of coffee out there, you didn't pour the coffee into your hands. Maybe you did. Don't do that again, okay? <laughs> even, even if you did, you had a means in which you drank the coffee. It was in your hands. Even if you put your, your head underneath the thing, the means was it came from the container. But usually, hopefully, most normal people get it in a mug or a cup. There's a means. And when you went to go get coffee, you didn't order a cup. You didn't say, hey, can I get a mug? Oh, yeah, throw some coffee in there if you, get, if you get a chance, right? No, no, no. You ordered coffee, but there's a means in which you get the coffee. We want grace. We want God. We want his presence. We want to mimic and to imitate the one who had infinite cost to himself, namely Jesus Christ, gave himself for us. And we want our desires and our affections to be in him. We want what we experience sometimes as more of doubt to be replaced by the nearness of God. That we want our affections to be raised upon him, that our lives begin to reflect it. So we want God's grace, but there's a means in which we receive these things, so to say the mug. And the means in which we do this are the practices in which we have. The reading of God's word, the praying to God, the praying in community, the sitting down and eating a meal collectively with people who in our lives who love Jesus and talk about the things of God in our lives and our soul. That we think these means are the means of confession, the means of gathering together on a Sunday. Um, here's, here's what we, we failed to see when it came to the missional movement. We believed somehow that bomb preaching was going to change people's lives. And I'm just telling you, I don't care how good the sermon is and how awesome it is, it's not going to change your life in the way that practices will. 
Hear me on this, right? And I'm sure you've heard some bomb sermons before because you've told me about it. I appreciate it. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> they're, they're like leg- legitimately sermons, especially now that most people just podcast things and so forth. That doesn't, that's, if your only means of nutrition spiritually is listening to a sermon, then um, you are physically inadequate. You are spiritually inadequate for the things of God. Um, it, there's just, they're, 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 you're inadequate. You're anemic and you're not gonna be able to grow. If you think the whole point of having us gather on a Sunday is to quote unquote hear God's word only, you've missed it. It's the whole shaping of a whole service of God's people being together. And if you're looking for, well, the result, I want to look for a result, like a quick result, you missed it. That's like going to the gym and working out one time and then looking in the mirror and being like, oh, I don't even see anything. It's over a period of time. It's over a period of time that God shapes his people. So it's more than just gathering on a Sunday. But again, you gotta start somewhere and grow. If you're someone who says, I go to church like once a month, maybe you should start going twice a month. If your person goes, I never read my Bible, maybe you should read your Bible for five minutes a day. Maybe you should just read it for five minutes a week. They said, the pastor said I don't read my Bible five minutes a week. If you haven't been reading it, just start there. Maybe your person says, I don't actually ever talk about God with my Christian friends. Maybe you should just say the name God and that I love him to a Christian friend. Maybe you just start there wherever the practices are, and begin to grow in those practices. And realize this, it's not a competition. It's not about who's doing more or who's doing less. No, no, no. Sometimes when it comes to the kingdom of God, less is actually more, right? Some of us, we're so busy with doing duty, 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 that we, we, there's no wonder why we don't have any desire. Because we're just going, 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 instead of sitting in the very presence of God and enjoying him for who he is. And so we have these particular practices that will inevitably begin to grow us to look more and more like Jesus. And let me, let me begin to conclude with this, okay? When it comes to this, it is not going to be in the big. Not that God's not in the big. He totally is. And he does amazing things. What we're saying is, it's in the boring. It's in the mundane. It's in the day-to-day. It's not something you're going to tweet about. It's not something you're going to post on Instagram. Hey, 17 straight days reading my Bible. Who's with me? Don't do that, please. Uh, <laughs> Just do it, just do it, right? Just, 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 just do it because you desire God. Um, I wonder if the reason why we feel such a distance from God is because we're waiting on something new. And like we said before, like the Bible says, he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that's more than enough. Um, I've shared this quote with you before because I think it just encapsulates all of what, what it means to meet God in the mundane. And um, it's by G.K. Chesterton. And he talks about this monotony. And he says, because children have abounding vitality because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and, and unchanged. And they always say, do it again. Okay. So like if you've ever been around a kid and you, if you can make a kid laugh in a certain way, like a little baby where you spin around and you like poke him in the stomach or something like that. And he starts giggling. That kid will want you to do that over and over and over and over. I mean like forever. And this is what he's talking about. He says, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead, right? (laughs) For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony, but perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Maybe it is just about reading your Bible and praying and eating a meal 
in the name of Jesus. Maybe it's less about the next exciting thing, the next big thing, the next thing that can influence or shape somebody. And maybe it's just about the tried and true old following Jesus and asking for his grace to do the most mundane things and meeting him right where he meets us. Amen? All right, let's close your Bibles. We'll pray. Father, we, um, we ask that during this, this season, over the next year, as we teach through the, the Bible um, and Book of Exodus particularly, as we, um, as we do work, as we make things, as we create things, as we have families, as we do relationship, all the things that we do, God, I pray that you would allow us to be formed. All of us, Lord. I ask personally that you would do in me exceedingly and abundantly more than I can think or ask and that you would do likewise in our midst, in our congregation. God, help us to see that what is good, right, true, and beautiful has never changed. And that is the person and the presence of who you are, namely in Jesus Christ. So we pray for a pouring out of your spirit that we may be able to delight in the gospel, in the monotony, in the daily. And God, that we may meet you afresh and that you'd raise our desires and our affections upon you. We ask these things in Christ's name, amen.